Hi. Hey. I'm Sam. And I'm Bart. Tell the people what we did today. Uh, so today we went for a walk at the um, Cedars. Cedars of Lebanon. Yeah, yeah, Cedars of Lebanon. State Park. State Park, yeah. It was really cool. That was lots of fun. Um, we'll definitely be back. Nice little walking trail there. For sure. Um, this is but, a podcast. Not about walking. Yeah, this is not about walking at all. I don't know why we started <laughs> off talking about it. but To give um, the people a little bit more background on who we are and what we do. Okay. Um, so first, let's introduce the show. Okay. Um, welcome back to Date Night at the Coffee Shop. Um, we talk about any kind of random topic, and we try a new coffee at the beginning of each episode. So it could be a, t- a podcast about walking. It could be if that was our topic, but it's not. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. I have notes. Yeah. So I'm that's, going off script. Sorry. That's that's what we do here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've um, we've been busy this weekend. Um, had a long weekend, so it's it's been nice. Um, but yeah, so we've we've got some coffee to try today, um, and a fun topic I think. Um, to come like on the heels of of jazz, I think. This yeah, kind of following up from our jazz episode. So um, we're not continuing on with music necessarily um but one of the places that jazz was really influential and important to um and that is new orleans so today we're talking about new orleans mm-hmm. um i'm very excited i've always wanted to go to new orleans but i've, I've never been okay um, so i gotta ask what's the appropriate way to say it is it new orleans nolens nola how, uh, how do we how do we say this New Orleans. <laughs> we know. What's the difference? Um, well, NOLA is just the abbreviation of New Orleans, Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah. Um, Nolens is just slang. Okay. I wonder if people who are from there actually call it that, or if they like roll their eyes. It's kind of like the Big Apple kind of thing. Like nobody who's from there actually calls it that. That's a good question. No clue. I have to ask some of our friends. Cool. Um, All right, you ready for this coffee? Yeah, so today we've got a coffee that's kind of that it ties into our episode. Um, saw this on the shelf at the at the Publix, and thought, you know what, that's perfect. Um, so today we're trying New Orleans famous French Market coffee and chicory. Um, so some of you might be wondering, what is coffee and chicory? Me too. Yeah. I am. I am some of. Some of you. Yeah, so that's, um, chicory is, it's actually comes from a a flowering plant, kind of like a a woody kind of flowering plant. It's actually in the dandelion family. Um, and what they do is they actually take the roots and then roast them, grind them up and mix them in with coffee. Um, it started, it was really big. It's really big in Europe. Mm -hmm. A lot of European places will do that. Um, and it, it cuts the caffeine apparently too. So so this is probably so this is like half it, it like half calf, right? Um. Well, the can actually says decaffeinated, which I didn't realize until after we bought it. Um. So I think even the coffee that's in here is not caffeinated. Oh. Um. But typically, a lot of places they do that, and it cuts the caffeine. Hmm. So it's it's really it's it's really more popular in Europe and New Orleans. Oh, that makes sense. Right. I get. I get it. So that's that's what that is. Um, you can find this. It's in a red can. Um, we found it at Publix. It what was four ninety nine, I think, yeah. something like that. Um, pretty cheap. 
We'll see how we'll see how good it is. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I have creamer at the ready. Too. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> just want to read a little bit from the the back of the can here. It says, like the city of New Orleans, the French market has a rich history. It has always been a center of commerce and sociability from the city's residents, attracting entrepreneurs, artists, and more fr- more recently, jazz musicians playing live music as locals and visitors shop. The French market flourishes to this day because of the people and products found there, including this coffee. Chicory is a unique ingredient that imparts a roasted and caramelized taste overlay to the traditional flavor of New Orleans coffee. Coffee and chicory is common throughout Europe, producing a stronger, darker, less bitter brew with less caffeine than pure coffee. In New Orleans, an old world city distinguished by its exceptional cuisine, French market coffee and chicory is served in the finest restaurants. So, we'll go ahead and uh, take our first sip. Again, this is New Orleans famous French market coffee and chicory. This is strong smelling. All right, we'll see. Hmm. It is it is very strong. I made it a little too strong, but hmm. It's a little bitter. That. But I can. It's it, it's a little it's bitter and sweet. That's interesting. Yeah. I hmm. Hmm. It's not my favorite, but it's not bad. Um, it is, I mean, it's a, a cheaper coffee than a lot of the stuff that we normally drink. Hmm. So, um, what would you rate it? Ah, uh, come back to me. Pass. Okay. <laughs> uh, so honestly, I'd probably, now a lot of this might just be user error. I think I made it a little too strong. Um, hmm. I'd probably give this a four and a half to five. Hmm. So... I don't, I don't hate it. Yeah. I, I don't know. So like, it's very strong, but it's also like you say it's bitter. I'm not picking up that much bitter, not more than like a normal coffee, like mm-hmm. a strong coffee. Well, you cut yours a little bit with water. Yeah, I did. I did pour a little bit of water Same. in mine. Let me try yeah. that. Hmm. Oh, now I'm getting the bitter a little bit. Okay, yeah, here's the, here's the spoon. I, yeah, no, after like some, some, uh, thought, I think I'm going to give it like a two. A two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. harsh. I know. I, this, this is not. I, I think a lot of it, I need to practice with this this kind i've never made anything with chicory before so i wonder if um, i made it the flavor is very strong it's it's very bracing um so it's for me it's a tentative four and a half to five just because i think i need some practice using making this coffee it's a two for me yeah <laughs> i'm not like i feel like even if it like the flavor isn't great like so it's a little bit over extracted yes but the flavor itself still isn't like great it's just yeah no like this <laughs> they're gonna like sue us for slander or whatever but this just reminds me of like truck stop coffee in like not a good way <laughs> <laughs> it, i'm not a fan like i'm not a fan 
Yeah, not not a fan of this. I'm probably just gonna drink water for the rest of the rest of the episode. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our topic. Um, so again, we're talking about New Orleans. Um, kind of following up from our last episode talking about jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's talk about it. What 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 do we got to say about New Orleans? Okay, cool. Um so before we get started, I definitely want to say that this isn't it's going to be impossible for it to be all encompassing. Um if we miss something, DM us, email us, you know, do whatever. Uh tell us what we need to know for whenever we visit one day cuz I definitely do want to visit. Okay. So, um along with like the history and stuff of of New Orleans, the first known residents of New Orleans area were Native Americans of woodland and Mississippian cultures. The Mississippian culture people um, built mounds and earthworks in the area, and then later Native Americans created um, a port between the headwaters of Saint, of the Bayou St. John um, and the Mississippi River. And then the bayou flowed into Lake Pontchartrain. Um, this became an important trade route. Archaeological evidence has shown settlement there dated back to at least 400 AD. Wow. Yeah. I thought that's pretty cool. Also, I should probably say, like, indigenous and not, like, Native Americans because, you know. Um, anyways, so the expeditions of DeSoto and LaSalle passed through the area, but there were very few permanent white settlers um, before 1718 when the French, uh, when the governor of French Louisiana, Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne, Sir de Bienville, my French is horrible, founded the city of Nouveau, or Nouveau, Nouvelle, Nouvelle, mm-hmm. yeah, Nouvelle Orleans, on the first crescent of high ground above the Mississippi's mouth. In 1722, he transferred Louisiana's capital from Biloxi to Nouveau Orleans. In the same year, a hurricane destroyed most of the new city, which was then rebuilt in the grid pattern of today's French Quarter. So, so even before mm-hmm. it was built, I mean, it was yeah still always had like issues for sure, and always plagued by hurricanes. Yeah, um, the city is named after. Um, Orleans, a city located on the Laurier River in center France, um, and it's well known for its fr- a distinct French Creole architecture as well as its cross-cultural and multilingual heritage. Um, in, in 1762 and 1763, France signed treaties ceding Louisiana to Spain. For 40 years, New Orleans was a Spanish city trading heavily with Cuba and Mexico and adopting the Spanish uh, racial rules that allowed for a class of free people of color. Uh, The city was ravaged by fires in 1788 and in 1794, and then rebuilt in brick with buildings and a cathedral that still stand today. So that explains why there's so much French and Spanish architecture and influence there. Yeah, I never realized so much that it was was under Spanish control, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, In 1763, following Britain's victory in the Seven Years' War, the French colony west of the Mississippi River, plus New Orleans, was uh, ceded to the Spanish Empire as a secret provision of the 1762 Treaty of Fontainebleau. So this is just more information on it. Um, It 
it, it was confirmed the following year in the Treaty of Paris. This was to compensate Spain for the loss of Florida to the British, who also took the remainder of the formerly French territory east of the river. So, like, that's why Spain got it. Spain got it as, like, a consolation prize because they lost... Right. Because they lost Florida. Um, yeah, I think they came out ahead on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, in April 1803, Napoleon sold Louisiana, or New France... Uh, which then included portions of more than a dozen present-day states, to the United States in the Louisiana Purchase. A French prefect, Pierre Clement de la Sotte, who had already arrived in New Orleans on March 23, 1803, formally took control of Louisiana for France on November 30th, <laughs> only to hand it over to the U.S. on December 20th, 1803, 20 days later. So, like, Napoleon was like, yeah, go over there and, like, take... Take New Orleans, it's yours, it's French territory. And then 20 days later, he was like, meh, I'll just give it to the United States. It's no big deal. <laughs> um, but while in those 20 days, uh, Pierre Clement uh, created the New Orleans First City Council, abolishing the Spanish uh, Cabildo. Yeah. Cabildo. Cabildo. So um, that's pretty cool. Like right before it was transferred over, it was like, oh, here's a, here's a city council kind of thing. Here's, yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, modernizing the mm, structure there. For sure. Um, the 19th century, um, the city was noted for, in the 19th century, the city was noted for its incredibly diverse population and mixture of cultures. It grew rapidly with influxes of Americans, African, French, and Creole French. So Creole French are people of French descent who were born in America, and Creoles of color. Many of the latter two groups fleeing from the violent revolution in Haiti. So... A note about the Haitian Revolution. I find this, this is probably like my favorite historical fact. One of one of a few of them. Um, it was actually a successful insurrection by self-liberated slaves against French colonial rule in Saint-Domingue, uh, now the sovereign state of Haiti. So the revolt began on the 22nd of August, 1791, and ended in 1804 with the former colony's independence. It involved blacks, French, Spanish, and British participants with the ex-slave Toussaint um, Louverture, Louverture? Yeah. Like um, emerging as Haiti's most charismatic hero. The revolution was, on, was the only slave uprising that led to the founding of a state which was both free from slavery and ruled by non-whites and former captives. It's now widely seen as a defining moment in the history of the Atlantic world. So, Haitian Revolution is pretty awesome. And a lot of, and like as that relates to Louisiana, like a lot of the, because it did last a while, lasted from 1791 to 1804, it last, lasted a while. Many of the people in Louisiana and specifically New Orleans came from Haiti, like as like refugees and things like that. So, right. um, the effects on the institution of slavery were of, from this revolution, were felt throughout the Americas. The end of French rule and the abolit, and the, mm, abolition of slavery um and the former colony was followed by a successful defense of the freedoms that they won and with the collaboration of free persons of color their independence from white europeans the revolution was the largest slave uprising since spartacus's against the roman republic nearly 1900 years earlier wow yeah right i thought that was really interesting um, the revolution challenged long-held European beliefs about the alleged black inferiority and about enslaved persons' ability to achieve and maintain, maintain their own freedom. Um, the rebels organized 
organizational capacity and tenacity under pressure inspired stories that shocked and frightened slave owners in the entire hemisphere. So those are the people who were like, the, that's the kind of people that were coming to New Orleans, like incredibly strong and like resilient and just kick-ass people. Um, so the Haitian Revolution also increased ideas of resistance among the slave population in the vicinity of New Orleans, understandably so, uh, because many of the people residing in New Orleans were refugees and Haitians who had fled during the revolution. In 1811, hundreds of slaves revolted in what became known as the German Coast Uprising. The revolt occurred on the east bank of the Mississippi River in St. John the Baptist and St. Charles, and, and Charles parishes in the territory of New Orleans. So while the slave insurgency was the largest in U.S. history, um, the rebels killed only two white men. Between 64 and 125 enslaved men marched from the sugar plant, marched, marked, mm, marched from sugar plantations. They collected more men along the way, and some accounts claimed a total of 200 and or t- as much as 200 to 500 slaves participated. During their two-day, 20-mile march, the men burned five plantation houses, three of them completely to the ground, and then several sugar houses and crops. They were armed mostly with hand tools and confrontations with the militia and executions after locally held uh, tribunals killed 95 black people. So after it was all said and done, 95 of these people were killed wow. as a result. Um, the bat- So that's just kind of like some of the history of New Orleans. I thought that was so... So interesting. Right. Um, Okay, so the final battle of the War of 1812 was fought in defense of New Orleans. Colonel Andrew Jackson led a coalition of pirates, free blacks, and Tennessee volunteers to defeat a British force outside the city. Yeah. Yeah, final battle of 1812. I had ancestors in that. Hope you're on the right side. Um, so, okay. So the city again served as capital of Louisiana from 1865 to 1880. Throughout the years of the Civil War and the Reconstruction period, the history of the city is inseparable from that of the state. All the constitutional conventions were held there. The seat of government again was there in 1864 through 1882. Um, and then in New Orleans, it was the center of a dispute and organization in struggle between political and ethnic blocs for control of the government. So, like, basically, a lot of what was happening in the state of Louisiana during the Reconstruction um, was like that. New Orleans was a microcosm of that. So right. I thought that was super cool. Um, during the Reconstruction, New Orleans was within the fifth military di- district of the United States. Louisiana was readmitted to the Union in 1868, and its constitution of 1868 granted universal manhood suffrage. Both blacks and whites were elected to local and state offices. In 1872, then-Lieutenant Governor uh, PBS Pinchback succeeded Henry Clay Warmouth as governor of Louisiana. So, hold up. Um, no, uh, I guess continue that. Okay. okay. Becoming the first non-white governor of the U.S. state and the last African-American to lead a U.S. state until Douglas Wilder's election in Virginia 117 years later. Okay, so in 1868, we have this constitution that's the constitution, the Louisiana, the mm-hmm. state constitution mm-hmm. of 1868, mm-hmm. granted universal manhood suffrage. Mm-hmm. So that was long before, um, 
which I, I forget which amendment it 19th? is. The 19th Amendment. So, Is that the one that, wait a minute, that's not the right one. That's the one that freed the slaves. Um, but it was, so it was still long before, though, like, before um, African Americans were granted. Yeah, we're, we're able to vote, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it says, um, like, so he was the first, and so the first non-white governor of a U.S. state and the last African-American to lead a state until Doug- Douglas Wilder's election in Virginia 117 years later. So I thought that was crazy. Like, that's not, um, like, heard of. You know, I mean, it, it's just very unheard of. Yeah. What are you looking for? I was just looking up the the amendment and trying to figure out when it was... Ratified? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought, I just think that's really interesting that as a result of immigration, and I mean, before immigration was really a thing, like an official like statehood thing, so many of the people who were coming to New Orleans, who founded New Orleans, who like were people, I mean, it was just such a diverse population yeah you know okay so actually no it actually wasn't that far apart so it's the 15th amendment prohibits the denial of the right to vote based on race color or previous condition of servitude that was uh introduced in 1869 and 18 it was completed in 1870 so this likely started that conversation yeah yeah wouldn't surprise me but it's still like it's still a big deal yeah, yeah. Sure. No, I just, I thought there was, like, this big gap where, like, only African Americans in New Orleans could vote, or in Louisiana, but the rest of the country they couldn't. So yeah. here they did it, and that kind of caused everything else over the next couple of years. Yeah. I'm not good with, like, dates and, like, addresses that way. Like, I'm not good with pinpointing when mm-hmm. things happened in history. So, I'm horrible at that. Um In 1905, yellow fever was reported in the city, which um, had suffered under repeated epidemics of the disease in the previous century. As the role of mosquitoes in spreading the disease was newly understood, the city embarked on massive campaign to drain, screen, or oil all cisterns and standing water um, in the city and and educate the public on their vital role in preventing mosquitoes. I just want to pause right there. So one of their solutions was for the standing water that they just had in, in their cisterns, they were just going to put oil in it? Like, do they not use that water? I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was it. I was like, that. I thought that was it. That doesn't seem too. like a very feasible option there. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe let's just put a lid on it. Well, maybe, like, it, maybe it creates, since it's a breeding ground for mosquitoes, like standing water and stuff like that, maybe it, like, creates a... Um, like impossible for them to live there but I yeah it does if, like i can see that i can see how it would you know it would stop the the mosquitoes because it would make like this barrier on top of the mm-hmm. water it would mix in but my point is like they've got these cisterns of water around for a reason like they they're using these waters why are they just putting oil into the water that they I wonder use if it's for like things? washing water or like not it's obviously not potable like you can't drink it or anything like that so i wonder if it's like for other uses i guess i don't know it just doesn't seem like a very, a very feasible solution. Yeah, it seems a little seems a little foolhardy. Like we could have figured out some better <laughs> options here. Yeah. Um, so President Theodore Roosevelt visited the city to demonstrate the safety of New Orleans, and it has not had any cases of yellow fever since. 
So Theodore Roosevelt went down and kicked Yellow Fever's ass, mm-hmm. and we ain't had no problems since then. Well, it was that and the oil. It was that and the oil and all the cisterns. Well, <laughs> they still had it until Teddy got down there. So yeah, <laughs> I think it was all Teddy's. Teddy's doing. <laughs> In 1909, the New Orleans Mint ceased coinage with active coining equipment shipped to Philadelphia. In 1923, the Industrial Canal opened, providing a direct shipping link between Lake Pontchartrain and the Mississippi River. In the 1920s, in an effort to modernize the look of the city, um, they removed the old cast iron balconies from Canal Street, the city's commercial hub. And in the 1960s, another modernization effort <clears throat> replaced the Canal Street uh, streetcar line with buses. Both of these moves came to be regarded as mistakes long after the fact, and the streetcars returned to a portion of Canal Street at the end of the 90s, and construction to restore the entire line was completed in 2004. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, so when we like, go back, we'll be able to see these streetcars. Yeah. What about these uh, cast iron balconies, though? They didn't. They just forgot about those? Well, probably, probably um, in the 90s, if they were like, oh, we should probably get the street carts back. And they were probably like, well, maybe we should do the cast iron back. And they're like, well, code. You know, probably not up to code. I mean, you can make it. That's just a recipe for tetanus. Do you want tetanus? Because that's how you get tetanus. Nah. <laughs> not, not if you season it, right? Not if you season it good. Yeah. <laughs> cast iron season. I love my cast iron skillet. Um, anyways, so as the center of, this is, we're moving on to Hurricane Katrina now. Um, and that's kind of like where we'll spend a little bit of time. So as the center of Hurricane Katrina passed southeast of New Orleans on August 29th, 2005, the storm surge caused approximately 23 breaches in the drainage canal and navigational canal levees and flood walls. As mandated by the Flood Control Act of six, of 1965 responsibility for the design and construction of the city's levees belonged to the united states army corps of engineers and responsibilities for their maintenance belonged to the orleans levee board failures of the levees and flood walls during katrina are considered by experts to be the worst engineering disaster in the history of the united states Ooh, those are some harsh words yeah that's that's a big deal yeah <laughs> um 20, i mean 23 breaches though that's that's that's, that's unexcusable in my, like, truthfully. Like, there's no... Yeah. There's no excuse for that. Yeah. Like, I can see it if it were, like, a handful. But, like, it's at... And that's, like, at least 23. So there's probably more. Like, that's yeah. just... That's, I mean, it, once you get up to that kind of level, it, like, there was clearly just a flaw ne- in... Negligence. Yeah. For sure. And, like, it's... Yeah. It's horrible. Um, by August 31st of 2005, 80% of New Orleans was flooded, with some parts under 15 feet of water. Wow, I couldn't even imagine. I know, being there. I know, it's I remember, like, I remember when it happened, and I remember seeing, like, a lot of footage of people, like, sitting on top of their house. Yeah. And you can just see, like, just the roof. Yeah. Look like it was floating or something. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Um... The, the famous French Quarter and Garden Disti- District escaped flooding because those areas are above sea level. The major, the major uh, breaches include included the 17th Street Canal Levee, the Industrial Canal Levee, and the London Avenue Canal flood wall. These breaches caused the majority of the flooding, according to a June 2007 report by the American Society of Civil Engineers. The flood disaster halted oil production and refining, um, which 
increased oil prices worldwide. Do you remember that? Do you uh, remember like the a little bit? I we were that in, was still kind of before I was um, kind of responsible for my, myself. Of course, I mean I had a job by then, but. I was still living with my parents. I remember whenever everyone was like, yeah, go get gas, go get gas, because that's happened a couple of times in our life. I remember, like, gotta go get gas. Yeah, I remember having to go, but I don't really remember the, the prices and all. Yeah. Um, mm. Drink and want some water, sorry. Um, by September 1st, an estimated 30,000 people were seeking shelter under the damaged roof of the Superdome. And an additional 25,000 had gathered at the convention center. Shortages of food and potable water quickly became an issue, and daily temperatures reached 90 degrees. An absence of basic sanitation combined with the omnipresent bacteria-rich floodwaters to create a public health emergency. Uh, Oh, did I include the chart? No. Oh, shoot. Um, there's a chart that shows, I'll have to find it. There's a chart that chart that shows the dispersal pattern for evacuees. And I thought it was interesting because Alabama like was on there and it was like, I thought that was so interesting, but so the Superdome was actually supposed to be a last resort because it didn't have, because its roof was damaged. Right. Um, and 30,000 people saw shelter there yeah that's that's crazy yeah and apparently like from all i remember like the news stories and things like that about like just the conditions because it it was a public health emergency like it was horrible the conditions were like just awful Mm. awful because they didn't have water like there was no power i mean it was bad um i'll have to find that chart though um i remember whenever northeast housed evacuees yeah, it wasn't from Katrina. It was from the the next one that happened in like a couple of years later. But a lot of them um, were from from New Orleans. Yeah, a lot of them were from there, but it wasn't Hurricane Katrina. Uh, but yeah, and I, I I actually had to do a lot with uh, getting everything set up for the evacuees. Mm-hmm. Staying um, in the gym, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Since I was on uh, the maintenance at the the college where we were um, yeah. deemed a uh, evacuation site. Yeah. Um, so it was it was an interesting couple of weeks because um, it wasn't long after Katrina. No, it was just like a couple of years later. I think it was two thousand nine. Yeah. Do you do we talk about the next the mm-hmm. other? No. But Katrina was just the biggest one that. Yeah, because Katrina was in like oh five. Yeah. Uh, but this one was like two uh, oh nine, I think. Is two thousand nine or two thousand ten? I don't remember. Oh, no, that's cool. I don't. No, it would have been it would have been two thousand nine because me and Ben were still there. Um, I waited into oh nine at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was crazy. Yeah. I remember, we just got a bunch of busloads of people come in. Um, we just kind of cordoned off the gym and set up a ton of cots and mm-hmm. it was. It was wild. Yeah. And, like, I just wonder... Because, like, that that hurricane wasn't nearly as bad as Katrina. So, I just wonder what places that had evacuees for Katrina looked like. And, like, what their... Well, see, that was part of the problem is I don't think there were nearly as many places. Like, Katrina was kind of the reason that we started having more places like that. Like, that's why Northeast became one. Yeah, like an evacuation point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and north, I don't think we've actually explained this. Northeast is the community college, Northeast Alabama community community college that yeah. we went to, um, right after high school. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so I was a student worker on the maintenance department. Um, but yeah, you know everything that happened, all the all the failings basically from, yeah. that everybody saw happen during the Katrina, Katrina disaster. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's what caused them to realize like, hey, we gotta put some more things in place so that we can handle this if it happens again. Yeah, and then it did. Yeah. It wasn't nearly as bad, but still. Yeah, and I mean, I remember, like, the whole coastline, because we, like, in, at, right after Katrina, it was in December, um, my church, our church did, like, a Operation Christmas Child kind of thing, where we made boxes to give out to um, people affected by Katrina, mm. and it was, like, really cool. Um, it was really cool to see just how, like... I say cool, and I mean it wasn't good, but it was really interesting to see the effects yeah. of Katrina. Because like we, I remember passing by, and we didn't go to New Orleans. We went to Bayou La Battery, Alabama. Mm-hmm. It's like close to Mobile, so I mean it's not like ridiculously far away, but um, like relatively. But like seeing all the FEMA trailers, yeah, like in just like this huge like football field, like lot, seeing like hundreds and hundreds of FEMA trailers. It was it was surreal it was weird anyways um okay so on to a more positive topic um we have to talk about mardi gras yeah yes okay so there is a lot of debate on whether it was started in new orleans or alabama i don't really think there's a lot of debate there i just think a lot of people don't know where it actually started (laughs) okay so nola sources of course say nola and bama sources of course say bama but um, here's what i found that kind of you know is the kind of uh, a peacemaker, I guess. So, the origins of Mardi Gras can be traced to medieval Europe, passing through Rome and Venice in the 17th and 18th centuries to the French House of Bourbons. From here, the traditional revelry of Beauf Gras, or fatted calf, uh, followed France to her colonies. I just thought, I just saw Beauf and thought Shia LaBeouf. Sorry, my mind squirreled out. Okay. (laughs) So on March 2nd, 1699, French-Canadian explorer Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne Sir de Bienville arrived at a plot of ground 60 miles directly south of New Orleans and named it Pont du Mardi Gras when he and his men realized it was the eve of the festive holiday. Bienville also established Fort Louis de la Louisiane, which is now Mobile, in 1702. So, in 1703, the tiny settlement of Fort Louis de la Mobile uh, celebrated America's very first Mardi Gras. So, they, they celebrated this, the Mardi Gras in Mobile first. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, he, he set up, like the same guy set up both places correct but it actually did occur in, in mobile, mobile alabama, alabama. first yep. absolutely so mobile alabama is the birthplace of mardi gras in the united states yeah come at me come at me new orleans natives yeah okay so in 1704 Suck it. <laughs> in 1704 mobile established a Roll secret society. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> oh, we're gonna get hate mail probably <laughs> Roll tide that's funny um, so Mobile established a secret society, Masque de la Mobile, similar to those uh, from the current Mardi Gras cruise. And crews are clubs that organize the Mardi Gras parade. Okay. Um, so yeah. it's like a committee. Yeah. 
It's like it's way more than that. That's insulting. I'll I'll get to it. So it lasted until 1709. In 1710, the Bay of Grass Society was formed and paraded from 1711 to 1861. The procession was held with a huge bull's head pushed along uh, on wheels by 16 men. Later, Rex would parade an actual bull draped in white, signaling the coming Lenten or Lenten meat fast. This occurred on Fat Tuesday. Right. So let's go ahead and talk about this here for a second. Because okay. a lot of people don't really understand, I think, what Mardi Gras is. Fat Tuesday. Um, so, yeah, it means, it tr- literally translates to Fat Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it's is on the eve of Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. which kicks off Lent for the Catholic, Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, Lent, this is where they cut out uh, meat, a lot of a lot of other things, and... and it's a 40 um, days of fasting. Yeah, it's, it's it's 40 days of fasting. Um, they cut it, out a lot of food, a lot of activities. They couldn't go to, like, operas, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, was the night before it kicked off. It was basically just like a last celebration of everything that they weren't going to be able to, to do. Um, basically. <laughs> we got to get our last hoorah in. Yeah. Is this where bachelor parties come from? I don't know. It's very similar to that kind of concept. <laughs> very true. Um, so by 17 th- the 1730s, Mardi Gras was celebrated openly in New Orleans, but not with the parades we know today. In the early 1740s, Louisiana's governor, the Marquis de Vaudreuil, established elegant society balls, which became the model for New Orleans Mardi Gras uh, balls today. The earliest reference to Mardi Gras, um, Mardi Gras Carnival... I kept reading this as Carnival, so if I say that, I apologize. Carnival appears in 1781, um, report to the Spanish colonial governing body. So that year, the Preservate, uh, what does that say? Pre- Preservance, Benevolence, and Mutual Aid Association. Perseverance. Oh, wow, I cannot read. Perseverance, Benevolent, and Mutual Aid Society, or Association, was the first of hundreds of clubs and carnival organizations formed in New Orleans. Okay. So here we go. By the late 1830s, New Orleans held street possessions of masks, maskers. Street processions. <gasps> what did I say? Possessions. Oh, processions. Wow. I had see. I need coffee. I I didn't drink any coffee before this, and then now I'm not drinking this because it's not good. I'm just I'm struggling today. Okay. New Orleans held street processions of maskers with carriages and horseback riders to celebrate Mardi Gras. Dazzling gaslit torches or flambeau lit the way for the cruise members and lent each event an exciting air of romance and festivity. So, cruise. Basically, these crews, like I said, they are secret societies. They're basically mini secret societies and like secret clubs that organize the parade and the events of Mardi Gras. So, the first they're one. They're party committees. You don't, you're going to get in trouble. But yeah, they're party planning committee. Um, in 1856, six young Mobile natives formed the Mystic Crew of Comus, invoking John Milton's hero, Comus, to represent their organization. So that's like a character of Paradise Lost, from Paradise Lost. Okay. Uh, yeah. And they basically base this whole first parade on Paradise Lost. And they make it just this huge, like... Like, they have masks, and, like, they make this huge thing. Right. Um, I mean, they can call it what they will. They can 
put whatever kind of spin on it they want to. But I'm not going to lie. It sounds a lot like um, when my mom and the, the women's ministry at church, when they start planning the, the women's conference. Um, it's, I mean, it just, it sounds like a party planning committee. That's so insulting. <laughs> that's funny. But it that's basic. That is basically what it is. And they like, they're, yeah. They're, they like you said, they can call it what they want. It's more like, it's very anonymous. You never know who, like, is on the committee or anything like that. You just, it's like, oh, like, what committee did it this time? What, what society did it this time? It's like gentlemen's clubs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so the crew of Comus organized the event for 12 years until another one in 1872, um, a group in, of businessmen invented King of Carnival, Rex, to preside over the first daytime parade. So like the next crew were like, oh, let's do a king. Let's do a king of Carnival. Um, so they honor, to honor the visiting Russian Grand Duke Alexis Romanov. The business, Ooh. yeah, exactly. The businessmen introduced Romanov's family colors of purple, green, and gold as carna- as the carnival's official colors. Purple stands for justice, gold for power, and green for faith. This was also the Mardi Gras season that Carnival's improbable anthem "If I Ever Cease to Love" was cemented, due in part to the Duke's fondness for the tune. So I have it, I have it queued up. I'll listen to it. I love New Orleans brass bands. Yeah. Like, Dixieland stuff is just... So, that's kind of like the theme. That's Mardi Gras' theme song. Um, So, the following year, floats began to be constructed entirely in New Orleans instead of France, culminating with the Comus's magnificent The Missing Links to Darwin's Origin of Species, in which exotic papier-mâché animal costumes served as the basis for Comus to mock both Darwin's theory and local officials, including Governor Henry Warmoth. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, In 1875, Governor Warmoth signed the Mardi Gras Act, making Fat Tuesday a legal holiday in Louisiana, which it still is today should be everywhere right i don't know why this hasn't taken (laughs) off to like the rest of the country yet um right i think it's that they would be so much fun i mean i'm sure some other places like do some things but it's not like it's not like that yeah no it's not it's not like the like it is there on uh what is it what's it what's the road what's the bourbon street yeah that we need to go for mardi gras one year i know we should um, so here's where I get to just a little, like, society thing. So, like Comus and the Twelfth Night Revelers, those are two of the ones that we talked about. The ones who did, like, the King for Carnival Rex, they're the Twelfth Night Revelers. Um, most Mardi Gras crews today developed from private social clubs with restrictive membership policies. Since all of these parade organizations are completely funded by their members, the New Orleans call it the greatest free show on earth. Uh-huh. So... That's that's New Orleans. It's just like like basically these social clubs are like, oh, we'll host we'll host it this year. And if you Google it, you can find out the most common right. people who host and you know all that stuff. 
Well, that's cool. I've, I've always been fascinated by New Orleans. Um, I really want to go. Um, we should do that maybe this year sometime. I would love for sure to go. Yeah, I know my mom's always talked about going and, and riding, the, taking a train down there. Yeah, I think there's a train that goes. I think it's from Nashville. Well, there's one. For, I think there's one from Nashville, but I know there's one from Anniston. There's one from Anniston, Alabama, that goes down to New Orleans. Um, I, did they ride the train whenever they went on their last cruise? No, they were going to, but they decided not to, like the last minute. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you like there's that's like a big cruise. Like port now these days. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So, this has just been really, this was really fun to research, and I was like, huh. Like I, I found myself doing that a lot while I was reading over. Just the, huh, didn't know that. Yeah. It was just like super, like little, just little tidbits of information that were really cool. So. Yeah, definitely a lot of fun. Um, it's always seemed like a super fun place. I uh, can't wait till we go. I know. Super excited. Um, but that's 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 what we've got about New Orleans today. Um, I'm sure there's there's a ton more that we we could go over. Um, if if you have any more information, feel free to to email us. You can email us at date oh, night coffee cover shop. Beignets. We didn't cover beignets. Oh, they're so good. Yeah. Um, I want beignets beignets now. Well, we'll see if we can find some. Oh, yes. um, yeah. So email us. Um, send us beignets. Whatever. Yes, um, send us beignets, please. <laughs> oh my gosh, if you send me food, I'll like, I'll say your name on the on the podcast. We still need to figure out what we're gonna call these people. Are we gonna call them coffee pods? I don't know. We'll figure that out later. Bean pods. Um, if you like us, please rate and review and subscribe on all of your listening places. Yeah, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Um, email us date night coffee shop at gmail You can find us on Instagram. Um, at date night at the coffee shop um, having a lot of fun doing this again uh, our coffee today was New Orleans famous French market coffee and chicory um, you, gave can, it a you can find it at Publix um, beware not to make it too strong it's very easy to do Yeah. so yeah. if you plan on, on trying it out um, you might want to experiment a little bit first yeah go a little bit weaker yeah uh, but that's it. So that's that's our episode for today. Um, glad you guys joined us. Um, had a lot of fun with this one, and we'll be seeing you guys around. Cool. Can can you go make me some normal coffee now? Sure. We'll see. Okay. Bye, guys. <laughs> see you. <laughs>